this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to the hindu's in focus podcast i'm anand krishnan your host for today in this episode we are going deep into the crisis at chinese real estate giant evergrande the property developers debt woes have made headlines in india and around the world and sparked broader fears about the state of china's real estate market which of course is a key driver of growth for the world's second largest economy will chinese authorities be able to contain the crisis or will it likely have wider ramifications for china's economy as well as for countries including india which counts on china as its largest trading partner with a relationship driven by continued chinese appetite for indian commodities helping us make sense of recent events is dexter roberts a senior fellow at the atlantic council focuses on asian security studies and he's the author of the excellent book the myth of chinese capitalism dexter also is a former longtime foreign correspondent in china and now is back in the united states thank you so much dexter for joining us today thank you anna to begin with dexter you've written uh, a lot i know about the chinese property market uh, so i'm guessing you're probably in the camp of people who weren't entirely surprised uh, by the news of evergrande although it seems a lot of investors were so can you just share with us your thoughts is this something that you felt was a long time coming yes i, I you're correct you know people that follow the real estate market closely in china have known for a long time that it is the most indebted industry in china and Evergrande is a poster child of that obviously we've discovered in great detail in recent days it's really been part of of a sort of the model if you will of real estate in china has been bringing on excessive leverage uh building apartments pre-selling them before they're even built and you know taking the money from uh the the buyers and then delivering the apartments much 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 later as well so uh yeah not so much of a surprise that now this is becoming has become such an important and and destabilizing clearly destabilizing issue for China and the world and actually can you explain a little bit uh in terms of the uniqueness of this real estate model that you spoke about uh obviously you mentioned it's debt fueled but there is a further complication in the sense of how it's so uh, inextricably linked to for example how local governments in China Uh, make money and get their revenues from land sales can you just break down for us a little bit about how all of this is kind of interconnected in china yes well that's a key a key uh, element to all this the fact that local governments in china are highly reliant on land sales and land proceeds to make their revenues uh, according to some estimates as much as as half of local revenues are related to to land sales and land different kinds of use of the land and this means uh that uh they need to continue continually develop new commercial and residential real estate in order to continue to make enough local revenues to run the local governments so this is a real key element they're also I'll just add as an aside they're responsible for not just building roads and so on but they they take on the full burden in most cases of paying for quickly rising social welfare costs which are going up as china as the chinese population ages that's not paid for by the central government but it's paid for by these by these different local governments you know the bigger picture is uh, real estate 
makes up probably about a quarter of the whole economy. So it's extremely important to the overall economy. And uh, just one last thing I would say is it's tremendously important to the Chinese people. Uh, close to one half of household assets are held in property. So people, rather than putting all their money in the bank or in any other uh, investable, uh, investable source, they end up uh, buying an apartment or if they have enough money, buying more than one apartment with their savings. So in, in some sense, actually, it's kind of like the golden goose for, for the Chinese government, for Chinese people as well, which makes it so tricky for the Communist Party when it deals with the, with a company like this, which is obviously tied to so many homeowners who may now lose a lot of money. And then there are sort of fears of whether this will spread uh, beyond this company. In your view, Dexter, what kind of explains how we got to where we are this week uh, with Evergrande saying that it may default uh, in the near future? Uh, some have linked it to moves that the party took uh, in 2020 uh, to try and address the debt problem. Can you just give us a little bit of background as to what brought us to the situation as opposed to the last 10, 15 years where, as you rightly just said, you've had this debt fuel kind of binge and people kicking the can down the road. Uh, do you see signs that maybe that's coming to an end? Yeah, I, I think what we've seen over the last couple of years is the government, which has been saying for a long time that they want to deal with the leverage problem in the, in the economy. Uh, we know that uh, the total debt, uh, by most estimates, is close to or perhaps more than 200% of GDP, which uh, in other economies around the world you know, can and has been destabilizing for the overall economy. So the government for the last couple of years has become quite, more, quite a bit more serious about trying to deal with this and deleverage the economy. They've taken various measures that have uh, put the real estate sector uh, in particular, because it is the most indebted part of the economy, on notice that they need to uh, start to solve their uh, debt profligate ways and uh, not borrow so much. So the government, I would say now, the central government is in a real hard place because they have made it clear and they no longer they know that long term they do need to re reduce deleverage in order to have a more stable economy. Uh, but now they see uh, as they do that, uh, the pain starts to appear and, and most dramatically now in Evergrande, which is having trouble uh, borrowing like it used to. And uh, so the, the, the dilemma then is, do they continue to uh, pursue this course of deleverage, de uh, show that they're serious about it, do what they need to do long term, um, or do they, 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 they decide to sort of step back because of the fact that it is becoming abundantly clear that there could be real economic pain related to uh, continuing with deleveraging right now. If they do step back and take a pause, uh, unfortunately, it uh, uh, the, the, the issue of moral hazard in the economy you know, rears its head once again. The property developers, and of course, it's so many more than just Evergrande that are indebted think, oh, well, I guess I guess the government wasn't serious. I guess we can keep borrowing like this and keep running up debt. Uh, the house owners, uh, house buyers, apartment buyers, people that might have speculated think the same thing. Prices as they have in the past will generally continue to go up. And, and the creditors them as well. 
um, they, you know, they, they'll say, well, I guess we don't have to be careful uh, because the government will backstop this debt and, and ultimately bail out uh, the real estate industry. Robert, it's really put well, Dexter. It's a very, very difficult choice either way. Uh, from the way you've been looking at what the government's been saying in the last few months, these three red lines that they've laid out for property developers and the like, which way do you think they're going to go? Do you think that will concerns make them go back to type uh, and continue with this model? Or uh, do you think that uh, they may be prepared for something different this time? I think they're going to push further this time. And I think they're ready to accept a bit more pain and, and uh, destabilize things a bit more to show that they are serious about deleveraging. Having said that, you know, I think they could step forward. They could, uh, first of all, force Evergrande to sell off some of its subsidiary businesses that have nothing to do with real estate, um, of which there are a number. Um, and they could, uh, and they probably likely will, have some state-owned entities take, take shares in the company as well. But I think that their plan is to uh, make an example of Evergrande um, and also uh, keep per pursuing this for, for a while. So I don't expect a, a, a real step back from the, the cliff edge uh, by the Chinese government this time. Well, taking a step back from the property sector, Dexter, you've been speaking and writing a bit about the changes we've seen in the Chinese economy since late last year, where you've had a range of moves uh, taken by Xi Jinping, uh, for instance, going after fintech companies. We've, had, uh, we've seen the, the party go after the education sector, private education in particular. Do you see this in, in any way as part of these broader changes that the Chinese economy is going through? And if so, What's your sense of what exactly Xi Jinping has in mind? Is he trying to fundamentally remake uh, the, the economy in some way, as well as, for instance, the say that the Communist Party has in running the economy? I, th I think that he is. I, I think that, uh, well, if we look at the earlier uh, moves, regulatory moves against the big technology companies uh, not long ago, just a few months ago, um, I would say that... Uh, Certainly, part of the concern is uh, the same sort of concerns we might have in the United States or in, or India or anywhere else in the world. Uh, monopoly issues, uh, data security, the, the, the issue that they were holding perhaps too much personal data. Uh, those are legitimate concerns that I think are uh, motivating the Chinese government. At the same time, I think there's a real uh, political motivation, almost an ideological motivation as well. And I see the efforts to, to rein in the technology companies and uh, other companies uh, throughout the private sector as part of, of an effort by the senior leadership and particularly Xi Jinping to uh, uh, grasp them much more closer to the party. Um, and uh, I do think that they are willing to do this even when there is some degree of economic pain as we're seeing. And I think they may even be willing to accept a loss of economic productivity in some cases, simply because uh, the senior leadership and Xi Jinping have decided that the private sector uh, should be more answerable to the party and uh, should spend more time worrying or thinking about how to help overall society and less time trying to just uh, make what he probably views as extravagant profits. I think I'd also just add that I believe that uh, Xi Jinping, again, in particular, uh, really 
is somehow bothered by the excessive wealth that he sees in the economy. So I, I think when he says that it, that it is that this is a problem, um, I think he really, you know, he, I think he believes it. And uh, he sees a person like uh, Jack Ma earlier uh, of Alibaba, uh, who's flashy and, and very wealthy and uh, likes to speak out. And I don't think he particularly likes that. And we may be seeing something similar with uh, Evergrande's founder and CEO, Xu uh, Jiain, who's also, of course, a very flashy uh, billionaire, uh, just like just like some of these tech founders and entrepreneurs. And what texture will this mean, do you think, uh, for countries, including India, that deal with many of these companies? Uh, isn't this in, in, in some ways going to make it all that much harder for companies, whether it's Alibaba, Tencent, uh, that have been looking at foreign markets and, and setting up a major presence there? It's, isn't that going to be counterproductive for them? In India, we've already seen a bunch of regulatory moves uh, that are aimed at making it harder for Chinese companies to invest in part fueled by concerns about their links to the state. Uh, so in terms of the Communist Party cracking down on them at home, how do you think it's going to be seen abroad in terms of allowing these companies to, to have a presence in, in overseas markets? I think it's becoming increasingly clear that these private companies are clearly answerable to the party. And, you know, this goes back a ways. I think it was probably in 2016 when Xi Jinping uh, made a speech where he said to uh, a bunch of high profile assembled entrepreneurs, uh, in effect, you know, one, one, you know, your role is not just uh, being an entrepreneur and running an effective company and thinking about shareholders and, and employees, but you also, he said, need to love your country and, and love the party. That was in 2016. And uh, since then, we've seen uh, uh, that same sentiment reiterated repeatedly. We've seen an effort to establish party cells in a lot of private, large private on, uh, enterprises as well. And then, of course, over the last year, we've seen this dramatic crackdown um, on, on various private uh, high, uh, technology companies, um, some of which has been quite disastrous for their business, where you know the Ant, Ant Group um, uh, just just days away from a, a global IPO and that being pulled. Um, the, the examples go on and on. So um, I think again, I think there's a growing realization around the world that uh, indeed these companies uh, do answer to the party, uh, that it can affect their business model, and uh, that's something that that uh, you know countries and 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 companies that might work with them need to be aware of. And I think they're. They're, they are becoming aware of that. And finally, Dexter, uh, do you see another big structural change in a way in terms of uh, the relationship between China's economy and the world? Uh, we've had Xi Jinping actually openly say that uh, he kind of wants China to be less reliant on the world, but he wants uh, foreign companies to be more reliant on Chinese supply chains. Uh, they've been worried about uh, countries including India, uh, trying to diversify and have a China plus one strategy so they all the eggs aren't in the China basket. Are we seeing a new phase uh, in terms of China? I don't want to overstate it and say closing off from the world, given that it's, it's still a linchpin of, of global supply chains. But in your view, are we moving to a kind of a new equation in terms of how China, how open China is uh, to the world, to foreign companies? I think, I think we are. Uh, I mean, we... Uh... 
you know, they, they have a they have their policy. They've been very open about the dual circulation policy, which is all about uh, uh, strengthening their the, their own economy's reliance on the basically the spending power and the innovation of their own people. I think um, we've we've heard uh, Xi Jinping use the old Maoist phrase self-reliance a lot recently. Um, they, of course, have had targets for years to try to uh, see their own uh, their own companies in different, uh, particularly in the technology areas, uh, grow their market share. And they've actually set targets this year. This you know what this company making this uh, this industry should actually be uh, filled up by whatever percent of, of of Chinese produced goods rather than foreign produced goods. So I think they really are moving in that direction. I, I would add that uh, you know it's a two side it's a two way street as as they say. Um, obviously, particularly the United States has made it increasingly difficult for uh, Chinese big Chinese companies uh, to operate overseas. I mean, the classic example, of course, is Huawei, um, and so part of it is indeed a response to uh, countries like the U.S. putting pressure on Chinese companies. Um, but I think it goes far beyond that. I think there's a a strong strain, which goes back long before Xi Jinping as well, about being more self-sufficient. Um, I think, I just say, I think they feel as if they are at a stage where they can actually start to carry out these goals of becoming more self-reliant. Um, you know, back not too many years ago, uh, it was very different when, you know, when China entered the World Trade Organization. It was all about bringing in foreign know-how and capital and learning from the world. And you know, China made sacrifices by opening its own industries to bring in that foreign know-how and capital. I think they feel now that they don't need that uh, foreign capital and foreign know-how at all to the degree that they did before and that it is time for Chinese companies to sort of step up and uh, play a much more important role uh, within China, but, but also overseas. Um, Yes, I would just stop, stop there. Oh, interesting times in, in China, Dexter, but it, it seems it's always interesting times in China. Uh, thank you so much uh, for joining us today on the podcast. Uh, we started speaking about Evergrande, but I think it's part of a much wider puzzle, as you have explained to us, in terms of how Xi Jinping is remaking the country, remaking the economy. A pleasure to have you on the podcast, Dexter, and we hope to have you back soon. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. In Focus, we'll be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.